All right, I want to share a story with you real quick as I get ready to get into this message. Years ago, when my oldest daughter used to cut my hair, uh, I would I would always come home and find myself in front of the mirror, clipping a little bit more up here around the ears. And Starla would say, "Didn't you just get your hair cut?" I says, "Yeah, but still need trimming here." She said, "Well, tell Summer how you want it." So I'll go back and say, "Hey, cut it over my ears." She said, "Okay." I'd come home, still have to trim it. Wasn't quite the way I wanted. And Starla said, didn't you tell her? I said, yeah, I told her. Too long. And I uh, said, well, tell her again. So I told her again. This went on for months. And uh, finally, I got real specific. And I said, Summer, I said, you're leaving it too long here over my ears. I said, well, you cut it over my ears. She said, hold up. Do you want it over your ears or above your ears? Said because there's a difference. Said over your ears, over your ear, above your ears is what I think you're wanting. Says, but you've always said over your ears. I said, hey, 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 who's the dad here? <laughs> the fact is, bad communication, yeah, it can turn into a hairy situation real quick, right? Uh, yeah, but up, up. Uh, listen, I've learned that most of the time our communication issues they end up resulting from not understanding somebody or a misunderstanding of somebody or just something that's taken the wrong way. And if that's true in any relationship, it's true in the marriage relationship. Because how many times have you ever got into another argument after the initial argument based on not what you said, but how you said it, right? How you said it. We've all done that. We've all got in trouble. In fact, in fact let me just put everybody to a little test here okay what do the words i have nothing to wear mean completely different right depends on whether you're a man or whether you're a woman if you're a man it means that i have nothing clean there's nothing clean to wear if you're a woman it means something completely different because women have the ability to walk into their closet and have hundreds of things to choose from Yet for whatever reason, there's nothing available for them because when a woman wants to wear something new, it doesn't have to be brand new. It could be something that's given to them by a friend or whatever, but they get a feeling that goes along with that. And once you've worn that, then it's dead to them. You know, it's dead. It's, it's dead to them. Yeah. When, when can you wear it again? When you move to another town. That's Because wearing that outfit will not give them the same feeling. So so here, sometimes I, I dare to live dangerously and I'll walk in the closet. So I was trying to decide and I was, well, just wear that. Said, it's a spring outfit, you idiot. You know, okay, well, like I'm supposed to know that. Uh, I don't know the difference between spring outfits and fall outfits. Uh, but when a guy, when a dude makes the statement, I have nothing to wear, it's kind of a survival statement. But when a woman makes it, it means that I have nothing to wear that'll help me feel the way I want to feel. Is that, is that fair? Okay, okay, so I've learned a few things in 41 years of marriage. That's about it. I got nothing else. But that's why I want to share this message with you today, simply called a solid foundation. Because whether it's your marriage, whether it's your family as a whole, or whether it's your individual life, 
it must be built on a solid foundation. Can I get an amen? So this is going to apply to everybody, but it's got to be built, built on a solid foundation. We're going to look at one of the most famous couples in the, in the Bible, Abraham and Sarah. And if anybody should have it all together, Abraham and Sarah should have it all together, but they don't. They're just as messed up as all of us are. And here's the problem that most of us make when it comes to our marriages. We look at other people's marriages or other people's families or other people's lives based on their Instagram, right? And, and we see their, the, the perfect lighting and the perfect setting and the perfect food and the exotic place and the, the winds blowing in their hair and the sunset is just right. And we think they have such a perfect life, you know? And you're looking at your life and it looks kind of out of focus and like you're sitting in the parking lot of Taco Casa because you were too tired to even go inside. You know, it is, we, we make these comparisons and it's unfair because you have no idea what's going on with the life of the people that you're looking at through their highlight reels on the Instagram or Facebook. Abraham and Sarah, here they are. They're the first couple of Judaism. Abraham, the father of faith, Sarah, role model for many wives. But guess what? Their story kind of intersects with our reality. What is that? That we make choices, hard choices. We trust God when we don't understand and don't always know what he's doing. And we, we just keep going after God and completely depending upon him. So I promise you this, that if you'll just listen to me and you'll invest in your marriage, your life, your family, then you're going to see God do some major changes and the change will probably begin in you before it begins in your spouse. So let God start the work in you first and then let it begin to work on others. Uh, let's start with Genesis chapter 12, verse number one. You got your Bibles or on your phones or on the Freedom Church app or on the screen behind me. Genesis 12, verse number one. It says, the Lord said to Abram. Now, Abram, this is before God changed his name to Abraham, same dude, uh, but his name is Abram here in this passage. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Here's the first point I want to make. Solid foundation. Number one, every marriage has the promise of blessing. Every marriage, every family, every individual has the promise of blessing. And here's the reality, that Abraham and Sarah lived in a culture when uh, arranged marriages were the culture. That's not the culture we live in. And a lot of our Indian families have come from that culture. Uh and many were arranged. They told me that their kids aren't doing that. However, before you completely abandon that, listen, I think it's kind of genius. Yeah, I think it's kind of, let me tell you why. Because I've watched my kids and my grandkids all just try to order at a restaurant. And the dilemma between a hamburger, corn dog, and chicken nuggets is just, I mean, that's just enough to throw them off track. How in the world are they going to make this major decision about who to spend the rest of their life with without parental supervision. But he's so cute. Now, you know what's cute? What's cute is uh, good credit. That's what, have you done? Have you done a credit check? That's cute. Well, but he's so funny. Well, you know what's not funny? A criminal record, because I'm going to do a background check on this sucker. That's the way you ought to, parents ought to be involved in this. And I'm sure all the young people would say amen. Yeah, I didn't get, I didn't think so. But here's the promise. God told Abraham and Sarah, look, I'm going to bless you. 
I'm going to bless you. Well, here's what we think. We think when it comes to blessing, you know, we think that means more. Well, God's going to give me more. Uh, you know, I got blessed at work. That means you've got a, a raise. I got blessed with a promotion. It means more. I get more money. I get more uh, time off. I get more. I just get more. Uh, you know, people say, well, I ordered a, a, a tall coffee at Starbucks and got a grande. I got, I got blessed with a grande. Or you ordered a medium fries at Chick-fil-A and you got a large. You got blessed with more. Hey, just as a side note, you know that you shouldn't check your, your bag of food at Chick-fil-A. That you just trust that that's God's will for your life. Now, all the other fast food places you check, what's in the bag before you leave. But Chick-fil-A, is just there's something anointed about Chick-fil-A. But blessing doesn't just appear when there's more. Here's why I say that. Because every one of our marriages, we most all of us started out with nothing. I mean, you start out just trying to get by. I started thinking about, I think our first apartment uh, cost $350 a month. And I thought, man, that was, that was going to break the bank. But we didn't have a whole lot when we started. And if you look at couples when they first get started, you know, you start out with little. You start out with not much, not more. But then that becomes the foundation. And in that beginning phase of marriage is when you begin to grow and you start seeing God's promises and you continue to grow into more later. But the blessing begins when you start believing, not when you have all the more. It starts when you realize God's blessing is upon us right now. Uh, on the outside looking in, you may look at people and feel sorry for them, but hey, God's blessing is still upon them. So stop comparing your marriage to somebody else because you have no idea what's going on on the inside of that. Look at verse number four, Genesis 12, four. It says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, uh, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that he accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At the time of the Canaanites were in the land, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord. He built an altar there to the Lord. I'll come back to that, who had appeared to him. Here's a second point I want to make. Every marriage has the power of pattern. Every marriage has the power of pattern. Now, this place that Abraham and Sarah end up, it's in the center of what will be known as Israel, a place called Shechem. And they end up there, and God tells him, look around, Abraham. And everywhere he looks, he says, I'm going to give this land to you. It's all yours. I'm going to give it to you. Your children's children, it'll be, it'll be theirs. So there Abraham builds this altar to the Lord. And sometimes because, uh, I think because we get a little, uh, we get in our own head. We start thinking that we have to make our own plans. We start thinking that we have to figure our own life out, that we miss out on the moments that God has put us in and realize that his blessing is right here in front of us. So he put Abraham and Sarah in the place called Shechem, and what Abraham does is he builds an altar to the Lord. Right there, he makes this commitment to the Lord that, Lord, this is a sacred moment. This is yours. We're going to give this to you. Our lives are yours. Uh, we're going to recognize that all this has come from you. So he builds an altar to the Lord. 
He doesn't even realize at that moment that this becomes the pattern. Remember, every marriage has the power of pattern. Every decision that you make has the power of pattern. It has the power of creating reproduction in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Because what happens? Abraham's grandson, Jacob, ends up in the same place called Shechem. And when they are recommitting their lives to the Lord, it says in Genesis 35, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. So it becomes another place for uh, Abraham's grandson to recommit to the Lord. But then remember the story of Joshua. Whenever Joshua makes that great statement and that great speech, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He does that in Shechem. So in Joshua 24, 25, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And even later on in the life of Jesus, Jesus comes to the woman at the, at the well, and there she is. She's a Samaritan woman. He's a Jew. He shouldn't be speaking to her uh, because of social norms. But he crosses that barrier, and he begins to talk to her about the water of life and talks to her about her personal situation and realizes that she's had five husbands, and the one she's living with now is not her husband. He tells her, drink from this water of life that I will give you, and you will never thirst again. She goes into the town, the village, and tells them about this man who has just told her all about herself. That was at Shechem. It's called Sychar in the New Testament, but it's, it's the place called Shechem. This became the place where promises were made, commitments were made, and miracles were performed. Here's why I'm telling you this. Abraham had no idea that this one decision was going to create a chain reaction of blessings to come for generations. The decisions that you make in your marriage, the decisions that you make in your own individual life, the decisions that you make in your family have the power to reproduce in generations to come. Make sure that you're creating the right culture. So what kind of culture should you be creating in your home? Let me just give you three real quick. Number one, create a culture of joy. We need to laugh more. We need to be happy more. If anybody on the planet should be happy, it ought to be Christians. Can you get a better amen than that? I mean, we have so much to be excited about, so much to look forward to, so much to be happy about. Why are we not the ones always excited? One thing that Starla and I used to do with our kids, our kids get an attitude and they start acting like punks. We'd make them jump for joy. We just make start jumping, uh, jump, jump, and we make them jump until they start laughing. Starla and I, we kind of had this thing for many years that if one of us copped an attitude, the other one would grab them, just hug it out until you just lost the attitude. You'd have to just laugh about it. We create a joy. I'm talking about the type of joy that we had yesterday watching Texas beat Alabama. What? Sorry. That was a culture of joy. <laughs> It's been a long time coming, Sean. It's been a long time coming. Listen, <laughs> you need to create a culture of joy. You need to create a place where you find the things that are worth celebrating and you celebrate them early and you celebrate them often. Also create a culture of devotion. And I don't mean just a devotion to each other. Obviously, we should have it. Create a devotion to God. 
Let me show you what this looks like. When you create a devotion to God, then it will deepen your devotion to each other. And it may look like having actual devotions together where you read the Bible together. It could be that you read it separately, but you talk about it later together. It could be that you, uh, you go to lunch and you talk about what you heard at church today. Just something that increases and deepens the devotion that you have with God because that deepens your devotion with each other. But let me take it even a step further. Devotion also looks like serving because here's what happens when we put others before ourselves. When we don't live off of selfish ambitions or vain conceit, but we put others first and we choose to serve. And that's what happens when as a, I've seen families, strong families serving together at church. You know where that gets repeated? At home. When you come to church and you put others first at church, it gets repeated at home and you start seeing people put others first at home. So it's almost a little self-serving. Don't tell anybody that I told you that. But when you serve at church, it's going to end up repeating itself at home. Your home will be happier. Create a culture of devotion. But then last, create a culture of communication. Where you're just communicating more. Where you're very clear on your communication. And here's why I tell you this. is because we have a tendency as human beings, with our sinful nature, we have the tendency of when there are gaps in communication. When there's uh, incompleteness or incompletion in, in conversation, we tend to fill in the gaps with the worst case scenario. Rarely do we fill it with the best case scenario. We kind of go to the low denominator. Starla and I love watching people. Anybody else love people watching? I love watching people. People are hilarious. I mean, I love watching, you know, the way they walk. I love the way they watch the way they interact. I, I love watching styles of walk. And, you know, it, is it a lip or is it a swag? I don't know. I can't tell, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a swag. You know, I just, I love watching people. I love how they interact. I, I just, I just love it. I'm, I'm, I'm a people person. Love interacting with people and watching people. Starla and I, we will sit around. We can go to the mall. Starla can go shopping. I can sit on a bench, be entertained all day long. It is, it is. It, it's a problem. Uh, but one of the things that happens often is that we go to a, a, a restaurant. We're sitting in a restaurant. And if Starla sees, because she has this compassionate side. Uh, I don't have the compassionate side. She does. And so we'll go to a restaurant. She sees a man, an older man, sitting, eating alone. And she, we, we always make up stories. Wait, wait, let me back up. Does anybody else make up stories about people when you see them? I wonder what their story is. We start kind of, yeah, I'm, we make up stories. So she makes up a story. Oh, poor guy. His wife probably passed, and he's here all by himself. And I say, or, or she's across the street shopping somewhere, and he's over here having a hamburger in peace and quiet, enjoying this moment of solitude. I don't know. Just could be. Since we're making up a story, let's make up a good story. And here's what I've realized, that when it comes to communication, one of the problems that we have is that assuming, you know what assuming does, but I won't say that out loud here today, but you know what assuming does, it's actually a self-fulfilling prophecy that when you assume something about somebody, it usually will become true because here's what happens, suspicion always finds fault. It's like you let a cop follow you for 500 miles, you're going to get a ticket because you're, you're going to do something wrong. So the remedy is to believe the best and communicate that to find the most generous explanation possible 
and add that into the gap or to the, the missing uh, portion of the conversation. What we need to stop doing is living as thermometers. We need to start living as thermostats, determining the climate of our home and our marriage. Can I get an amen? All right. Let me wrap up with this. Musicians, come back, please. Genesis 12, 8 and 9. It says, from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. First, or the, the third thing I want to say is this. Every marriage has the ability to grow. Every marriage. And I'll just say on top of that, every family has the ability to grow. Every single life has the ability to grow. Abraham and Sarah never stopped growing. They never got to the place where they said, oh, well, we built an altar, we're done, we're good. Instead, everywhere they went, they built an altar to the Lord. They consecrated that place to the Lord. Everywhere they went, whether it was climbing up that mountain, wherever they said, they built an altar to the Lord. What they did was they kept walking together, they kept working together, and they kept worshiping together. And that's what every family needs to do. Every marriage needs to do. Every church walk together, work together, worship together. If we are committed to walking it out together, working together, and worshiping together, then we're going to continue to grow stronger together. I say this often when we give people an opportunity to give their lives to Jesus Christ and people say yes to Jesus. I'll tell you, I want to walk this out with you. That's why we say come to the I've Decided wall. Our text decided. We want to connect with you because we want to walk with you. Nobody should do this alone. We need each other. Can somebody say amen? We need to do this together. Now, too many people, they're just trying to make life easier. I mean, we got planes that fly themselves. We got cars that drive themselves. You got people that grocery shop for you. We got Siri and Alexa that answer every question that we've ever had. And, but that's not the way it works in marriage. We're not trying to make everything just easier and just... Uh, with no challenge. No, Abraham and Sarah, they kept working, walking, and worshiping together. In fact, here's what happens. If you don't use the stones to build an altar to the Lord, you'll use the stones to throw at each other. What I mean by that is if we're not careful, the very things, the, the opportunities, even the challenges of life, if we don't give them to the Lord, we end up turning on each other. One of the mistakes a lot of couples make is they start expecting their spouse to be their savior, to meet all of their needs. Your spouse cannot meet all of your needs. Your spouse was never intended to meet all of your needs. You put that kind of responsibility, that kind of demand on your spouse, and you will be disappointed every time because there's only one person that can meet all of your needs, and his name is Jesus. And what happens is when you try to expect that kind of responsibility from your spouse and they disappoint you, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do the same thing that Jews did to Jesus. Crucify him. So quit expecting perfection or quit expecting your spouse to meet all of your needs. Let Jesus do that. Work together. Walk together. Worship together. And together we grow strong.
Stand your feet with me. And wait.